Hello and welcome to Trending Pet Food, the industry podcast where we cover all the latest hot topics and trends in pet food. I'm your host and editor of Pet Food Industry Magazine, Lindsay Beaton, and I'm here today with Treatable's founder and CEO, Juliana Carella. Hi, Juliana, and welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. If you operate in the pet CBD space at all, you probably know Juliana, but just in case, here's a little bit about her. Her story is noteworthy in that she's developed one of the world's first medical cannabis brands and over the past 10 years has created not one, but two multi-million dollar enterprises. In 2008, she established Auntie Dolores, a gourmet edibles bakery with the mission to change the way people consumed medical cannabis. She built her business on the core principles of health freedom, delivering a gourmet experience, remaining environmentally focused, responsible consumption, and the pursuit of thought leadership. Eventually, clients began to ask if they could use Auntie Dolores' products to treat their pets. This led to her developing a line of pet products infused with full-spectrum hemp oil, and in 2013, she established Treatables, the pioneer company in the field offering organic, broad-spectrum hemp oil products for animals. Partnering with master cultivators, Juliana created a proprietary formula sourced from the company's own organic hemp grown across the U.S., Maintaining quality, consistency, and efficacy, as well as transparency with customers, became a company mission. Decades of experience in the human and pet CBD spaces are what make Juliana the perfect person to answer today's question. What do the current and future landscapes of CBD in the pet industry look like? Juliana, I want to start off by giving our listeners a little bit of background and to find out how you ended up in the pet space. How long have you been involved with CBD in general? And then what made you decide to start a company in the pet space beyond just the customers asking? Was it something you were already leaning towards or was it purely a customer's ask first and you went, hey, why not? You know, it's funny. I guess our entry into the pet space is pretty unique in that we came from the cannabis space first. And when we became familiar with CBD about 11, 12 years ago, that's when we started working on pet products because it was learning about CBD and understanding that it's non-psychoactive and has all these amazing health benefits that were in line with all the health benefits that our pets need. It was a no-brainer. We actually launched in 2013, but we spent about two years prior to that actually cultivating the CBD-rich strains of cannabis that we used because this was prior to hemp becoming the main source of CBD extraction. Before that happened, cannabis was grown in the CBD-rich strains, and that's how we extract the oil. And then we infused it into the pet products, and because our current customer base was all California cannabis dispensaries that were purchasing our human products, getting them excited about a pet product that was going to make their animal feel better, but wasn't going to get their animal hot. It was like, that was an easy customer acquisition right there. It wasn't until we started to try to sell our product into pet stores and go to the pet industry trade shows and all of those things that we started we realized there was a lot of pushback and that we needed to do a lot of education. And so that's kind of how we got involved in the pet space was simply because our involvement with cannabis led us to CBD, which led us to developing animal products. 
just out of the necessity and fascination and more than anything with this new cannabinoid that was not even on our radar. Just a few years earlier, we had been really focused on THC and all of our human products were THC products. So even though infusing cannabinoids into consumable products, there's a, a tried and true method that we've used for close to 15 years now, still use it. The actual products themselves are quite different got your THC cannabis edibles for humans, and then you've got your CBD uh, now derived from hemp products that are made for pets. And even though there's a lot of synergy between the two, they're actually quite different end products, obviously. So I feel like we're going to be talking a lot about consumer education and industry education as we go along with this discussion. I want to dive into that a little bit right now. What was the landscape like when you first got involved in the pet space? Obviously, it was nothing like it is now. There wasn't any kind of the boom that is happening right now in terms of companies offering CBD in pet products. And just in terms of, you mentioned the pushback and the education that was required. How much did that play a role initially in helping to shape the landscape of what it would be since you were one of the early people in the space? Yeah, great questions. I think it's really telling now because when we go to the trade shows, there's upwards of 100 or 200 CBD brands. But long ago, when we tried to bring treatables to those trade shows, they all laughed at us because they were like, what are you talking about? What are you doing anyway? You're getting our animals high and you're poisoning them and this and that. I mean, we really had to explain the difference between THC and CBD. And that was challenging, mostly because people didn't even understand the science around THC, which we've known about for many decades now. But of course, the health benefits have always been suppressed strategically by forces in power right now. Unfortunately, it seems to be the trajectory of cannabis and hemp is just phenomenally beneficial. And yet there's so much red tape involved in bringing these products to market. So back to your question about how did we educate? I mean, it really was an exercise in going back to very basic principles and explaining the difference between THC and CBD and why CBD is appropriate for animals and why THC in those higher doses is obviously not appropriate. And then while all of this is happening, keep in mind that the legalities of it all and the regulatory framework were being literally developed as we were going. I mean, there really was no regulatory framework at all. There are certain rules that are now just everybody knows, like CBD is not allowed in food products, right? But back then we didn't know that. And there's other things that have become much more clear over the years. But back then, really, there was no regulations at all because it was just so brand new. And those first couple of years were challenging. But what really kicked things off for us was when the Farm Bill of 2014 passed, because what happened then was suddenly hemp was a product that could be purchased in another state and, and the active ingredient could be extracted and then it could be moved to another state. And we wanted to turn our California brand into a national brand, and we couldn't do that prior to that 2014 farm bill. So we're really stuck in California as a cannabis brand. And we wanted this CBD pet thing to be something that pets all over the world we're going to be able to enjoy. I mean, that was literally our vision. We were stuck in California. We couldn't legally get out until that farm bill 
changed everything. And then we found some hemp cultivators to partner up with and it developed a great partnership with people that we're still working with today. And that's where we get the active ingredient. So we're no longer growing cannabis plants in Northern California. We're basically growing hemp plants in Kentucky and South Carolina and Tennessee and doing a lot of the same process that we did 10 and 15 years ago, but it's just a different end product. And it's a product that we can sell across state lines, we were able to make treatables, not just a California brand, but a national brand. And then by 2015, there was already a handful of other competitors that had shown up on the scene. And I think together, like after we kind of broke down the doors and the barriers, and then all of these other companies started flooding in, it became critical mass at that point, whereby I think the pet stores, they couldn't really ignore us anymore. We drove a lot of popularity for these products from our own website because we were selling our products from our website prior to pet stores carrying the product. So for us, it was a little bit of a challenge, but we ended up getting to the point where we could start driving the business to the pet stores that started carrying the product. Of course, we still do that to this day. We sell from our website, but we're really dedicated to the independent retailers across the country. I mean, there's so many great retailers out there, brick and mortar retailers. We're hoping that the brick and mortar world survives all the crazy things going on in the world right now. And we're partnered with them and and we want to see this through and CBD products have an amazing, there's so many things about it that are great beyond just the health benefits for your pet, but actually the health benefits to your bottom line and your business are also something to consider. You've got a pet store and you see the, the margins and prices and everything of CBD products and you see the efficacy. And I think some people think it's like a trend that's going to go away, but I honestly, I don't see that happening. I think we've just only scratched the surface actually. I would agree with that. I want to talk a little bit more about the evolution of it growing in the pet space, because I remember at the pet trade shows when it was really just a couple. I mean, it was really easy to hit all the CBD booths when it first started. And now there are just so many. (laughs) And even companies who don't profess an expertise in CBD as one of their primary marketing strategies have a product that has CBD or something along those lines. So as someone who's been in the space from the very start, what has that evolution looked like to you? Is it more concerning or exciting for you for things to have evolved the way they have and basically exploded in the last several years in the pet space? And how would you describe the state of CBD in the pet space right now? I would describe it as very oversaturated. And I would describe probably 98% of the producers as Johnny Come Lately's that don't really have a process. They're deeming their CBD ingredient as just any other ingredient that gets thrown into the mix and they might buy it from a supplier. Most of those suppliers are hardly even testing their product. They don't even know they're filling their pet products with heavy metal contaminated CBD oil that came from China. There's all kinds of stuff that we could dive into here if you like, but there's a million ways to do it wrong. There's about one or two ways to do it right. You know, it's just like any other industry, you're going to have 
a lot of inferior products out there. It's just the reality of it. I mean, everybody wants to jump on the bandwagon and there's a plethora of hemp in our economy right now. And yet it's totally legal to grow it here in the US, which is what we do. But then you still got people that are purchasing it from China because it's much cheaper, but it's contaminated with arsenic and cadmium and who knows what else. It's easy to say, oh yeah, just extract the CBD and throw it in the product or whatever. But like, we're talking about hemp here. Hemp is a bioaccumulator. It literally sucks up everything around the root. It will act like a sponge to any contaminant that's in its vicinity in the soil. And then when you go to extract the oil from that plant that's been contaminated, all of those disgusting contaminants end up in the oil. And then that oil goes into products that end up in your cat or your dog's digestive track. People underestimate the power of this stuff. It's not something you just take lightly and you just purchase it wherever it's cheapest to get it and then just slap it up on the shelf. We're talking about our animals here. We were so excited about these farm bills passing 2014 and then 2018 really clinched it all up together and finalized everything in a way whereby the U.S. could actually possibly become one of the leading sources of hemp. And yet here we are, we're still allowing it to come in from China. It makes no sense to me. We've got really competitive pricing on our products and we use the best quality ingredients. But when I see products that are half the price, when I know that we're absolutely charging the best value and we do all kinds of types of competitive price analysis with competing brands. And just looking at that, we can tell which companies are getting their hemp from China because there's no way they could be producing it with U.S. hemp and offering that price. So then it's like, okay, well, now that we know that this handful of brands is producing from Chinese hemp, let's go ahead and test them. And oh, look at that. Look at the arsenic in this brand and look at the cadmium and the other gross stuff over here and all these pesticides and all this stuff. And it's like, okay, but that's all the stuff that these poor customers don't know they're giving to their pets. Well, I think that segues perfectly into what I want to talk about next, which is regulation. I have never spoken to a segment of the pet industry more pro common sense regulation than (laughs) companies in the CBD space. It's very much a, we need regulations so that only the safe products are out on the market. We need regulations before an inferior product hurts an animal and we all get taken down because everybody knows that as with probably the only comparable industry is something like baby food. If you mess with somebody's pets, you will get shut down. That will be the end. I have had a lot of conversations in the CBD space about We really want some kind of regulations to ensure that only those with the top testing and the top sourcing end up on the shelves because something is going to happen and we're all going to get taken down with it. So let's talk about that a little bit. Let's talk regulation. What is your take on the current state of things? What are the challenges? Where do you think the best path forward lies in terms of regulating all of this? Well, you just opened a big old can of worms. I'm going to warn you right now. (laughs) I love these questions, though, because there's so many things I want to mention, especially the reference to the baby food. So when I started off in cannabis in 2008, I couldn't wait to get it legalized. Besides running my company, the other half of my time was spent helping to shape 
the cannabis regulations in California and get California to a place where we could actually get past this self-regulation and have an authoritative regulatory body that actually comes in and does it and does it right. And what ended up happening was the exact opposite of that. Uh, unfortunately, I'm feeling the same way about CBD hemp space in general, and most definitely about pet products. And what I mean by that is we've got regulatory agencies in place. What we don't have is regulatory agencies that are actually doing their job. And to just bring it full circle, because you made a comment about how pet parents are as hyper-focused on the quality of their pet food as they would be with their baby food. Well, Let's take a look at what's happened with contamination and baby food and how that's such a great example of our regulatory agencies not doing their job, but instead being 100% captured by big corporations and making sweetheart deals with various manufacturers whereby they are not accountable. I see that happening in the hemp and the CBD space. I see the fact that as the United States, we allow Chinese hemp products into the country. They flood the market. They are the most contaminated. That's our biggest problem. And yet the FDA is not even focused on that. Instead, we've got state inspectors that still make it their purpose to go around to different shops throughout the U.S., depending on what state you're in, and cause trouble for different shopkeepers that maybe have a little bit of verbiage out of line or there's a little bit of incorrect information on their packaging or whatever it is. To me, the focus from our regulatory agencies is not where it needs to be. And I don't think they're doing their job. It's really hard to be involved in CBD and not have one foot in the regulatory side because nobody can enter the CBD space without understanding the parameters. And frankly, I give a lot of credit to you know organizations like the NASC, for instance, because they have it figured out. They know how to basically provide that regulatory framework for manufacturers like us because CBD is no different than glucosamine or probiotics or any of these other active ingredients that we want to give our pets. We just need to understand how to do it legally. There's a lot of information there that gets overlooked because people just don't understand the parameters of it all. And they don't understand that there's organizations in place to help us and to create that legitimacy. And that's what the NASC has done. I've always thanked those guys because, like I said, my history with cannabis regulations goes back pretty far. And before there were trade associations like the NASC, the operators would try to get together and set up our own type of trade association of some kind that would hammer out these tough issues with the regulators. That was no easy task, by the way. So I was really happy when I entered the pet space and things started getting really complicated on the regulatory side. I was over the moon to connect with the NASC and, and we ended up being the first pet CBD brand ever to get the NASC seal. And that was a proud day for us because of our history and what we had come from and, and how much we appreciated having that clarity from a liaison such as the NASC. Why do you think 
the federal regulatory agencies are falling short? Did all of this happen too fast? Do they just want to leave it up to the individual states and completely wash their hands of it? Because going into stores and citing people, that's pretty reactionary in terms of a proactive approach, which would be scanning the ingredients as they come in and testing them to make sure they fit this regulation and this regulation and this regulation in terms of efficacy and safety. Where do you really think the disconnect is? So I think there's actually a disconnect in how the public interprets what the job of the FDA actually is within the context of pet CBD products. And I try to clarify this as much as possible, but when people say things like, when are they ever going to approve CBD? Well, we're not asking the FDA to approve our products because for the FDA to go through an approval process with a full spectrum CBD product, they wouldn't do that anyway, by the way. They're focused on foods and drugs and in the drug category, drugs are single molecule medicines. They're not in the business of approving a full spectrum hemp product or something that has, you know, multiple cannabinoids in it and all this kind of stuff. Now, that being said, the FDA did approve epilepsy medicine derived from CBD. It's made from CBD, but it's only got CBD in it. And it went through that rigorous FDA approval process, which costs millions and millions of dollars. And these are all done by big pharmaceutical manufacturers, right? GW Pharmaceuticals, the name of the pharmaceutical company that went through that FDA process to get Epidiolex approved. So that's really the only FDA approved CBD medicine that exists. Just to take that a little step further, to make this analogy a little bit clearer, if I were to try to approve by the FDA a CBD pet product, I would have to go the way of making it a drug and it would have to be a drug with a specific use and it would have to be just CBD and it would go through that whole FDA trial process, right? That's not what we want to do here. What we want to do is we want to be in that same category as the glucosamine products or the probiotic products, all of those functional products that granted the FDA is not real excited about, but they don't approve or disapprove those drugs. All they do is what happens is let's just say a a new company makes a, a CBD pet product and they go and put all these things on the label that are not compliant. That's where people get into trouble when they're mislabeling things, when they're making claims about CBD. So this is where the FDA starts to step in and that's where they draw the line. No, you cannot say that treatables cures epilepsy. We can't say that on our website. We can't include it in any reviews because the FDA looks at that like you're now competing with all the FDA approved medicines that exist in the market for dog epilepsy. So we can't have that. I think there's confusion around what our expectations from the FDA actually are. Me personally, all I want the FDA to do is just get out of the way. They don't need to approve or disapprove anything because we're not putting CBD pet products through that process. Uh, They just need to get out of the way is what they need to do, in my opinion. We're completely compliant. Literally, the NASC has formulated all of these regulatory rules around how to label our products, what to say, what not to say. All of that was decided by the FDA CVM and the NASC together. I mean, they literally sat down and worked through these challenges and they didn't just do it for the CBD products. 
the NASC has been around for like 20 years and they originally formed because the FDA was starting to give producers pushback on creating glucosamine products because back then everybody was really keen on giving their animals glucosamine, but there wasn't a lot of information about whether it was safe for pets or not. And so it created a lot of what's very similar to what's happening now with CBD, where we know it's effective for pets, but we don't have the studies for it because all of that's been suppressed for so long. And now we've got a situation where science is catching up with the industry as opposed to the other way around. If we didn't have all these restrictions on research for the last 100 years, we would know a lot more about this plant, the benefits, if there were any problematic things about it, we would know all that already. But because we're so far behind on science, it's almost like you've got this disconnect that's happened. And I think that sort of affects why the regulatory changes have also taken so long to be developed, because it's such a unique situation to have something that's so effective, to have something that mirrors our physiology so incredibly well. It's almost like we need it. Our pets need it. And yet it's been illegal for a hundred years. So it's like, here we are trying to untangle this mess that's literally started about a hundred years ago. To put it all in perspective, because you can't look at the CBD pet space without looking at the history of the hemp and the cannabis plants and all of the legal challenges, not to mention the stigma that was created. There's just a lot to get through. (laughs) To answer your question about education, we really have to teach on all that stuff because it really gives you the frame of reference to understand why the challenges are what they are today in our little category here. I want to talk about the science a little bit more because I know it is an issue in the human space as well. The science not being on par with current demand and current industry growth because the research hasn't been able to be done. What are we looking at in terms of the stagger? How far behind is the research and how much more do you think needs to be done to help broaden acceptance and maybe cut through some of this red tape and make things make a little bit more sense? Because I know it is an issue that largely a lot of the benefits, the success stories in the human space and the pet space are anecdotal because scientists just have not been able to do the full bore research that they've been able to do with other things because of the stigma and the illegality of everything. I agree that science is playing a lot of catch up right now in this particular space in a way that I haven't really seen with other stuff. It really is unique. If you look at it, there's really nothing else in history that I can think of that is grown from the earth, has amazing health benefits that the plant actually produces phytocannabinoids that mimic the cannabinoids that we produce, which are endocannabinoids. I mean, it's like, okay, how much more is there to know about this plant that we just have not known because it's been suppressed? And so since the farm bill passed of 2018, there was a huge uptick in research and that's phenomenal. So I think the last three years have probably been more research into hemp and CBD and and all the cannabinoids for that matter. There's been more research in the last three years than probably ever before, simply because the legalities now allowing for it. 
when you think back on how many different universities and labs and people have tried like heck to study this plant and were faced with so much red tape for so long that I think when that moment came, when the farm bill pretty much legitimized the hemp plant and opened up the possibility for research, it was like suddenly there was just tons of it happening. Last time we checked, there was at least five or six universities conducting pet-specific studies with CBD. So that's been really exciting to see. Of course, they're all coming back with results on things we already knew, you know, it's more confirmation than anything else, but it's the type of research that we need though. We need to legitimize this. We need to actually show the proof that we've known all along. To me, it's fascinating how deep the stigma goes. I think actually the stigma is the biggest thing in the way because you still have people that maybe they haven't seen just how well it works for their pet or they just think it's like, I can't see why we would need it or I'm just going to try to address my cat's problems with diet. And it's like, no, you're not quite understanding. These phytocannabinoids, what they do to your cat or your dog's system is profound and unique. There's no other substance out there that's going to do what the phytocannabinoids do that come from this plant. And believe me when I tell you that your kitty who's exhibiting anxiety, good luck helping that with the diet because there's no diet change you're ever going to be able to do that's going to reduce your cat's anxiety. But what you can do to reduce your cat's anxiety is to satisfy the endocannabinoid deficiency that they're displaying through their anxiety because that anxiety, all it's telling us is that that cat's nervous system is in turmoil. And the number one thing you can do to put any nervous system back in order, whether it's a cat, a dog, a horse, a snake, a human, you get their endocannabinoid system back in order. And that in turn regulates the central nervous system, which regulates their anxiety levels. So that's where you see this complete calming happening with animals. You didn't give them a sedative that just knocked them out. And that's why the anxiety is gone. No, you took away that piece in their physiology that's got them spun out of control. And that's what happens with anxiety, right? I mean, we all experience it. It's the same thing. That person that has that anxiety, that cat, that dog, that horse, whatever it is, it's all the same thing. It's endocannabinoid deficiency. It's a need for phytocannabinoids to put the endocannabinoid system back in order, which in turn puts the nervous system back in order, not to mention all the other health benefits that come with that. That's where the education comes in. It's a lot. It's a lot of science and then it's complex. So we have to break it down and make it simple. So we try to teach it in ways that are easy to absorb and understand. And it sounds like new research and education are going to end up going hand in hand because as more research gets completed and can supplement the anecdotal evidence or what you're saying, then customers can look at that and go, okay, you know, it's just like one extra layer of confidence that could really bridge the gap in terms of Mm -hmm. education between, yes, I'm a company selling CBD products. Here's the information we have now versus here's the information plus some research studies that also Mm -hmm. cover all of this. So it sounds like research and education have a real opportunity to really go hand in hand in terms of consumer trust and Mm -hmm. legitimization of the segment of the industry, maybe? Absolutely. We've already talked about it a little bit and we're already heading in that direction. So what do you hope for the future of CBD in the pet space? Well, more research, (laughs) for sure. 
I'd love for there to be less stigma. I, I do see that the stigma around cannabis in general and just the confusion around the different cannabinoids and what they do. And I wish there was a little bit more clarity around that. So that's what I'm hoping for is that maybe in the next few years, there won't be any more of this hesitation because of that stigma that exists. And then it'd be nice if there was less barriers to entry. We've got many countries that want to carry our product, for instance, and importing these products in different countries is a, is a huge lift. There's always a lot of research to do into that country and what's going to be legal and how do we do this legally and successfully. And the fact is that there's pets all over the world that need these products and there's still a lot of restrictions in different countries. Well, thank you very much for your insights, Juliana. CBD in the pet space is a hot topic right now and one with a lot of murkiness and complexity to it. So I appreciate your help today in wading through some of that. Before we go, let's do a little plug. Where can people find you and where can people find Treatables? Thank you so much for this opportunity. Great questions. And I really enjoyed this conversation. As far as finding us, we are all over social media. Look us up, Treatables. I'm going to spell it T-R-E-A-T-I-E-L-E-S at treatables.com on social media. We're at Treatables on Twitter, Facebook, all of them. Excellent. That's it for this episode of Trending Pet Food. You can find us on petfoodindustry.com, SoundCloud, or your favorite podcast platform. You can also follow us on Instagram at Trending Pet Food Podcast. Once again, I'm Lindsay Beaton, your host and editor of Pet Food Industry Magazine, and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for tuning in.